0: I love a returning guest, and sometimes I feel a connection that I cannot explain, and so it is with today's guest, Wendy Liebhoff. Wendy currently focuses on product development and strategic marketing for Language of Caring, a lifelong activist for helping healthcare organizations create exceptional experiences for patients, families, and the entire healthcare team. Wendy is internationally respected as a thought leader. Healthcare executive, culture change strategist, coach, and author who has helped hospitals, health systems, and medical practices achieve breakthroughs in the patient, family, and healthcare team experience. Before making her mark as champion of the international patient experience movement, Wendy was vice president and change coach for the Albert Einstein Healthcare Network in Philadelphia, where she worked for 20 years. Wendy earned a doctorate and master's degree from Harvard University and a BA in Sociology Anthropology from Oberlin College. A communication fanatic, Wendy has written 14 books on the patient experience, leadership, and service excellence, and she is going to be a contributor to our new patient safety charity anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. And there's just so much more to know, so let's just get started. Welcome back to the show, Wendy thank you so much for having me. Oh, I love you. I love having you. You have so much energy and so much to offer. And I love what you do. You make caring visible. What a beautiful three words, make caring visible. That's what you do. Why do you do that?
1: I've been focused on that for 40 years. If I could go back to my roots, I think it really makes it clear. This is like 60 years ago, 1960, I was 15. And I found my beloved grandmother who lived next door to me having a heart attack. She was 66 at the time. My parents were nowhere to be found. I called 911 and stayed with my grandma till the paramedics rushed in. And I tried to go in the ambulance with her, but they wouldn't let me. And I sped to Montefiore Hospital and found her in intensive care where I wasn't allowed to see her. So I sat outside waiting, completely distraught and panicked. And my grandmother, she was the most important person in my life. And I I couldn't be with her. It was maddening. And the nurses said things like, sorry, dear, you can't go in. It's against the rules. Go find your parents. And I pushed, but they brushed me off as if I were, you know, a mosquito. I wasn't allowed to be with my grandma and hold her hand and she died that night alone. Oh. And I can tell you that I have relived that experience so many times, realizing way back then that something really important was sorely missing in healthcare, that nobody should be treated like that. And then years later, I saw my opportunity to enter healthcare and work to strengthen the heart part, the compassion mm-hmm. that people extend to patients and families. And so I've been doing that since 1980. 40 years working on humanizing healthcare, bringing heart to healthcare communication. And the thing is, I know full well that people in healthcare have big hearts and want to make a difference. That's why we enter healthcare. I've been determined to help people develop the skills so they can communicate their empathy and compassion. So that's that's what drives me and, and that's what I'm doing to this day.
0: Oh, Wendy, I did not know that. What a what a time for you. What a turning point in a young person's life. And thankfully, you took that and did something positive with it. And you know, you just said something that I agree. I believe that healthcare providers care. Perhaps, though, it's the ability or at times the inability to communicate that caring that creates the disconnect. Absolutely. That's what I strongly believe. And I've
1: found that in my work because
0: when we help people,
1: develop the skills and intent to make their caring visible, they do a wonderful job of it, and it makes a huge difference to their patients and families, to
0: themselves, and to the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, going back to your grandmother's story, I wonder if there was a system or a process in place that caused those folks to say, no, you can't be with your grandmother. It wasn't that they lacked the caring. So the question is, are there systems or process issues that can change the trajectory of communication?
1: Well, I think that people, they have positive intentions. They're trying to uphold safety rules and patient confidentiality. There are all these policies and practices that people are trying to follow. And in the process, the human being can easily be forgotten. So I think people mean well and they're besieged with Requirements and they're busy trying to toe the line on these requirements. So, there is probably some kind of a rule don't let minors into the ICU even during visiting hours, something like that. You're living in fear that you're going to violate a rule and get in trouble. And that's one of the biggest issues with patient safety, I believe, that staff are living in fear about breaking rules and regulations, Mm -hmm. and patients are worried about losing the goodwill of staff, Mm -hmm. so people hold back, and they don't think, what does this human need, Mm -hmm. and how can I be a compassionate soul in my interactions with them?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do think sometimes it is systems and processes that prevent yes. very well-meaning people from doing what they would do from the heart, but then are not allowed to do. And then that just takes me to the question of technology. What role is technology played in improving or diminishing communication between provider and patient?
1: Well, there's a lot of research now that shows that technology can help or hurt and You know, one study I read recently was that while seeing patients, providers look at screens for longer than they look in patients' eyes. You're, again, you're trying to document, you're trying to access information, and you're so task-oriented and preoccupied with meeting those requirements that you just aren't present to the people in front of you, and you're not connecting. So I think we have really a
0: compassion crisis in healthcare and, you know, it's pathetic and extreme. It is, it is, but I don't know how a provider who is supposed to document everything to cover cover their backside there, how they can be documenting and looking at the patient at the same time. And you mentioned task-oriented. How do you instill or teach the much-required people or relationship-oriented aspect of an encounter to a person who is either task-focused or is required to be task-focused? Personally, with your work, how do you teach them to interject that relationship side of it?
1: You know, one more thing about the technology. People think they can multitask, which is actually a fallacy.
0: When you're doing what
1: you describe as multitasking, people are doing, I think of it as rapid cycling. They're switching rapidly between one thing and another. And what happens in so many healthcare interactions is people think they're multitasking while they're looking at the computer, but they're not present to the person. So the best practice that works is to consciously alternate between connecting to the patient and dealing with the computer. So When you're writing something, say, excuse me a moment. I want to make sure I get down everything that you said so I don't forget it. And then type. Then look back, lean forward, tune in again with full mindfulness and interact with the patient, listen, ask questions, et cetera. So then switch back when you need to write something down or access information. So there's a best practice that enables people to both deal with the technology and let it help them and their patients, and stay connected and respectful to the patient. So that patient feels like the center of their world, those precious moments when they're actually interacting. So then you ask, well how do you how do you help people deal with that that inclination to be task oriented? First of all, label it. We have a, a language model that we teach in the language of caring, which is so such a powerful and simple model for helping people put their task orientation in the right perspective. It's called the heart-head-heart model. And in an interaction, this model suggests start from your heart when you're talking to the patient, then go to the task or the business at hand, and then end with heart. So let's say somebody's, a patient's in pain. Right now, if you watch interactions with people who are in pain frequently, Here's what you hear. You'll hear something like the patient says, I'm in terrible pain. I need more medicine. And, and the staff member says, how would you rate the pain from one to ten? Or well, where is the pain exactly? Or let me talk to your doctor. Maybe there's something that will work better. So they're t- they're going immediately for the fix. They're dealing with the task. When here you have this person crying out in pain. So if you use the hard head heart model, you start with heart. You say, "I am so sorry, you're in pain. I want to help. Now tell me, how would you rate the pain? You know, where is it exactly, et cetera. You deal with the tasks, and then end with, "I really want to re- do everything we can together to ease your pain." So start with heart, end with heart, and deal with the tasks in the middle, and which means in in interactions, twice as much heart as We call it head, you know, the cognitive, the factual, the informational. And that simple model, which you can apply literally to every interaction, shifts you, puts the task orientation into perspective. And it only takes a minute to do heart, head, heart. Uh, It doesn't take more time than dealing completely with the task-oriented communication. So that's just an example of, of how we help people, first of all, recognize that head has won the day and and that that is not in the best interest of patients and families and it disillusions healthcare staff because people went into healthcare because they care and it's not satisfying to just stay involved with the task. What's satisfying is feeling in relationship to the people you're with, feeling like you're making a difference, like you're connecting. So this helps everybody. And there's piles of uh, research that shows that uh, compassion is directly connected to quality outcomes.
0: So it's not fluff anymore. We really know that it's essential to healthcare quality. It's beautiful. And you know what? You wouldn't even need any research to figure that that's going to make sense. I mean, you can't possibly deal with any situation with your head constantly and expect a positive outcome. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We talk about a lot about the patient and the provider. And I understand from a communication and often a patient safety standpoint, that hierarchies are beneficial for healthcare teams because somebody has to be in charge. But in relation to provider to provider, what work is being done to improve conversations and communications between these layers to avoid some team members from feeling marginalized or then therefore less apt to perform. And the reason why I ask this is because I've spoken to so many healthcare workers recently, especially for this book, who say that they do not speak up even when it could make a difference for patient safety simply out of fear. So what work do you do to help that provider to provider the hierarchical situations?
1: So important. The hard head, hard model applies equally powerfully to relationships and conversations between co-workers, between, say, nurse and doctor, Mm -hmm. and frequently these people back off from basically telling their truth because of fear, as you put it, but if they are more effective dealing with that, let's say, physician from a compassionate place, they get better results and then they're more likely to speak up in the future. So imagine saying, I don't agree with that, what you're saying for the patient, that's not what she wants. That's how somebody who's frustrated might speak up if they allowed themselves. But if you used heart, head heart, you might say, Dr. Jones, I know you have our patient's best interest at heart. My thought is that it would be more helpful for this patient. To handle the situation another way, I and then explain that's the head part. And then, you know, I really appreciate your hearing me out about this. I know that we want the same thing. So, heart, head, heart to be more effective with colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people don't have that skill, and it takes some practice. But you know, you can practice at home and get very far, very fast with the skill. Uh, but definitely in coworker relationships, people are more likely. To speak up if they feel like they have a better way to speak up Mm -hmm. that's less likely to alienate the person and without them sacrificing their strength, the strength of the message that they want to deliver.
0: And hopefully the response is reciprocated with heart, head, heart. What do you find when you go into a healthcare setting to do this type of training? What response do you receive? How is it received? You
1: know, I've been like a change agent type person for for decades and typically when we're planning strategies we think, well how how might people resist? And then be prepared to deal with people's resistance. What I've found with the language of caring and specifically with the hard head art model is there is no resistance. People just get it. It leads to the biggest aha. The reception has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, I was just reading evaluation results from the kickoff with, at an organization with a new client of ours, and one of the evaluation questions is, what did you like about this? What didn't you like? And, and under what didn't you like, several people said, I didn't like that it was ending, I was frustrated that it wasn't longer. This was just what I need. So, and that is frankly typical Mm -hmm. and we're getting the same kind of response from physicians. So people see, people are so well meaning. They want to make the biggest difference they can in people's lives. That's what drove them to be who they are. So if our message was, you've got to be more caring, there would be massive resistance, but that's not the message. It's, you are caring. That's what drove you to do the, the work you do. We can help you be more effective, making that caring visible, communicating your caring so it has the impact that you really want. And then that that just completely prevents resistance. And I believe that. So I could it's easy to genuinely say it.
0: Oh, absolutely, because you are giving them the affirmation that they are a caring person. But, you know, if we just tweak the order in which you speak, perhaps there we go. Heart, head, heart. I love that because you don't have to be a healthcare person or a patient to use that. You can use that every day when you talk to your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or whoever before you speak. Oh, absolutely. And that really helps
1: us teach it, too, Mm -hmm. because... We use a lot of examples from outside
0: of healthcare, You know, mm-hmm.
1: You know, you're telling your mother, I, I live far away, I'm so sorry. My mother, I remember my mother being so frustrated that I didn't visit more. Well, I live far away. So in the early years, before I spent $5 million on therapy, <laughs> I would say, well, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I come when I can and, you know, I have a life and I'd get mad. And then after Hard Head Heart, I'd say, you know what? I'm so happy you miss me because I love you so much. And I feel loved. The fact is, I'm very involved in the work that I do in my Philadelphia family. And I come when I can. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know I really love you. And the amount that I show up is not a reflection of that love for you. And she'd say, "Uh, okay. I mean, she didn't like it. She still wished I'd come more often, but you can imagine those conversations going a lot better. So the point is, it's so easy to come up with real life examples beyond work. And frequently what happens in our workshops is people go home and they try hard head hard on their spouses or their kids. And they come back and say, yikes, this really works Mm -hmm. because they just end up with much more productive interchanges.
0: Excellent. So this is a lesson for everyone listening. I love that. I love it. Uh, One more thought. When, where, and how does humor fit into a daily healthcare encounter? Working with people
1: from different backgrounds and cultures, you have to be careful. But basically, humor works as long as respect drives you when you're communicating. And anything that you can do to connect with people at a personal level is going to help. Is going to help them. So, uh, you know, I believe unleashing humor is great. You just have to be careful and keep your goal to connect. Humor is a wonderful way to connect. And also watch people's reactions. If they're not getting you, if they don't get it, then you have to be even more careful. But we need to lighten hearts. There's so much suffering that we're dealing with on a daily basis, that if we have ways personally that we can lighten hearts while we're going about the, the work at hand, uh, you know, just all the better. And it builds relationships and it builds connection and reduces the fear of speaking up, encourages openness with each other, and that's going to lead to to good things.
0: Absolutely, I like that. Lighten hearts. We need to lighten hearts. Thank you, Wendy. Well, as we begin to wrap up, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about today?
1: You know, I think there's a worldwide crisis of compassion. You know, just read the news; you see it every every day. And I think that crisis of compassion has spread to healthcare, and we have to make a job one to exemplify compassion in our healthcare interactions. We need to really elevate other people with our caring. So we need to love ourselves and each other into healing. And that's maybe the the most we can do uh, in a world that's very, very troubled, but we can make a big impact. Personally, I'm reminded of the Margaret Mead quote. I wonder if I can remember it. I think it was, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So in healthcare, we have such an opportunity to make a difference by expressing our caring and connecting to people heart to heart.
0: Well, thank you. That's beautiful. I think we can all start at home and start with ourselves. And if each one of us begins to feel that compassion and deal with everyone we come in contact with, with heart, head, heart, it will obviously spill over into healthcare and into every other aspect of our lives. So thank you, Wendy, for, for who you are and what you do. Where can folks go then to learn more about you and how can they contact you?
1: languageofcaring.org. That's our website. My email is wleboff at languageofcaring.org. And I would love to hear what people are doing to promote caring, humor, health. And if I can help people, please don't hesitate to connect.
0: Oh, you're outstanding, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Okay. It was so much
1: fun talking to you.
0: Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known health and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.